Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 18, titled, Always Pray. Hello, good morning. Welcome to Island Baptist. Glad you're here. We're studying through the book of Luke on Sunday mornings. Luke chapter 18. Graduated from chapter 17. Finished up looking at uh, chapter 17 at least. Jesus' description of the nature of the things that are going to take place near his coming and around and about his coming, the nature of those things. And actually, chapter 18 is a continuation of that, even though there's a chapter break. Don't let it trip you up. Uh, that chapter was not, chapter 18 words were not written by Luke. They were written by somebody 300 years later. One contiguous thought from chapter 17 into chapter 18. Now Jesus is going to teach us how to pray between his first and second coming. And that's the conditions that we find here. We're going to consider that here in just a bit. So there was a young man who was, uh, had himself a date with his new girlfriend and uh, decided he was going to buy her some candy. And so he goes down to the local drugstore and he buys three boxes of candy. Uh, one, a small box, uh, then a medium box, and then also a large box. And he takes it up to the cash register because he's going to check out. And the pharmacist is standing there and says, hey, you got yourself some candy. What's, what you doing with that? He says, well, I've got myself a great date. So really, tell me about it. He said, well, I got this girl, and I'm going to go over to her house tonight. I'm going to meet her folks, and then we're going to go out on a date by ourselves. And he said, I got these three boxes of candy because if she treats me good, I'm going to give her the small box. But if she lets me hold her hand, I'm going to give her the medium box. But if she lets me give her a little kiss after it's all over, she doesn't know this, but I'm going to give her this big uh, box of candy. He says, oh, well, that sounds like a plan. He said, I think it is. I think it's going to really work. And so he uh, checked him out and, and uh, went home, and that evening goes over to his girlfriend's house, and he uh, girlfriend meets him at the door. Uh, she takes him in through the house, through the dining room. He sits down at the table. Her father's sitting there. He takes one look at her dad. He immediately says, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Like he'd never been to this house before. So it's it, kind of obvious, like, you know, absolutely, we pray before our meals, and so please, please pray. And so he launches into this massive prayer. Uh, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the salvation through the works of Christ on the cross. I mean, he covers, you know, most of the points of doctrine. He thanks, you know, of all the things he circles around, finally gets around to thanking God for the, for the food about the time it's starting to get cold, and finally says amen. I mean, just this amazing, uh, theologically deep prayer. And uh, so they eat the meal, and everything's fine. And the, when, when the meal is over, the, the girl can't wait to get, her, get him by himself. And as soon as they walk out the front door, she said, I, I had no idea that you knew how to pray like that. And he says, yeah, and I had no idea that your dad was the pharmacist either. <laughs> So do you do you pray? Where where does pray, prayer rank in your life? Is it something that you keep as a spare tire? Is it something that you roll uh, down the road on? How does it work uh, in your life? Jesus is going to give us an important lesson about how we should be praying here in these times between his first and second coming. He uses very, as the master of the simple story, Jesus, a profound spiritual message with very, very few words. And we're going to be considering uh, what he has to say here. He says, now, verse 18, verse, chapter 18, verse 1. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, because apparently that's a possibility. Saying, there was a certain city, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling 
He cared about nobody. But after he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect men, man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. The word different wear out literally means to be buffeted, to be hit. She just keeps punching me. She comes in here and keeps punching and punching and punching. Anyway, the Lord said, hear what the righteous judge said. Pay careful attention. Pay attention to what he says. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Are you doing that? Day and just two times a day. Day and night. We're dependent upon him for everything. So you think you're not destitute like this widow, but you in fact are. She's a great, she's a great lesson. Cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Like I said, this is about his second coming. This is a relation to his second coming. My prayer should be focused on the second coming absolutely, positively. If they're not, you're not praying, not thinking right. Let's consider the story together. We'll consider the characters before we consider the full implications of it all. First of all, we have this this judge who is uh, uh, the worst a person could be in this life. His career, his Thumb, rule of thumb is to break the two, two greatest commandments, which are what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Every day, he absolutely cares nothing that he breaks those every single day of his life. This is who he is. Now, he's terrible. He's bad. That's the worst a person could be. But worse situation is that he's in charge. He's in a position of authority. And woe to those who are underneath him. And let me just say this as a side commentary. How, how, does, how do we know when God is judging a nation? Well, I can tell you scripturally from that. I can tell you both Old Testament and New Testament. Consistently, when God judges a nation, he first does it through the people that he allows to be in charge. I'll say it again. God begins the judgment of a nation through the people that he allows to be in charge. Whoever's in command, because everyone who's in command is put there by God. You know that, right? And I know you didn't, maybe you didn't vote for him, but I'm telling you, he got there because God put him there. Or her, whatever, I don't know, whatever person you got a problem with. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a problem with him. I'm just saying you need to understand God's in charge and he only gives the authority to who he allows. And whoever we have is who he's allowed. Well, so they're killing our nation. Yep. They're destroying our economy. They're destroying our, 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 our culture and our society. Yep. The word to the wise is sufficient. So this guy's in charge because God allows him to be in charge. And, and it's, a, it's a, great, a great illustration of what's going on. So, so this was not, he doesn't use many words here because in a very few words he paints a picture that probably most of the people listening there were familiar with because they had a lot of people like this. And this is not, this guy isn't named, the widow isn't named, he just pulls them out of the air, creates a contrived story, but it's, the, the circumstances are definitely not contrived. They're used to this. They, had, they even had a name for them. They called them the robber judges. There were still some good, good leaders, but they were mainly bad. Remember, most of the leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they kill the Son of God. They're, they're hypocrites. They, they destroy uh, widows' homes. They destroy uh, lives. Jesus is just rails on them one woe after another woe. These are the guys that are in charge. By the way, what happens to Israel within 40 years? They cease to exist as a nation for the next 2,000 years. So how, do, how could we have known what God was going to do? Well, look at who's in charge. 
You read the Old Testament, they're about to be judged, they're about to be exiled, they're about to be overthrown, their city's about to be destroyed. Look at who's in charge. So how can we know what's going to happen to this nation and any other nation? You got it. Word to the wise is sufficient. So the, the judge, first of all, and then sees the worst it can possibly be. The widow is in the worst possible situation that she could be in. She's destitute financially, because that's she would otherwise have done something differently. She's destitute because she doesn't have a man in her life. Because every, every woman needs a man, don't you know? <laughs> Back then, you did, ladies. If you did not have a man, you had nothing. You had absolutely nothing. Women had no status. They had absolutely none. Better, better to be a child or a slave than a woman, truly. It's not, not a great thing, but it just simply was the way it was. Women were powerless in this culture. Still are in many ways. Go to the Middle East today. Are women in power? No. You show me a woman in 108 degrees dressed from head to toe in black, and I'll show you a woman who does not have any power. Uh, why doesn't she kill him? That's the same question I have. No. Take him out and shoot him. But again, it's still a lot of things in the Middle East haven't changed. And so we look and we say, how could it be that way? Well, it has always been that way. So the courts belonged to men in those days. Uh, men sat in the gates of the elders sat there, and they dealt with men in the, in the situations and circumstances of justice. Women were not allowed unless there was no male that could stand in for her. So just reading between the lines of the story, Jesus, again, very few words, paints a very clear picture that the culture understood. Number one, she's a widow, so she doesn't have a husband. Number two, she doesn't have a son who's of age, or he would have been there. And she doesn't have any other male who's related to her, either her husband or her or herself. Because she doesn't have a cousin, doesn't have a brother-in-law, doesn't have an uncle, doesn't have a grandfather, doesn't have a dad. She's completely destitute. The, the conditions that Jesus is painting here are extreme. Now, not to say that there aren't judges out there who really truly only care about themselves and have no fear of God and no respect for men, because we know that they're out there like that. But for them to come out and say as his mantra, well, that's just who I am. He's got it above the door. It's nice to know, at least. I'm a total crook, and I'll rob you, and you'll get no justice from me. Wouldn't it be nice, at least some honesty we'd get from these people? Be honest about what they're gonna, the fact that they got their hand in our pocket you know, the whole time. Well, this guy was just straight out with it. So he's the worst a person could possibly be. She is in the worst destitute situation she could possibly be. Again, these are extreme situations. Jesus is taking extremes because he's trying to make an extreme point uh, with us, which he's going to do. So she's destitute. Uh, she's powerless. She's helpless. Uh, she's deprived. She's lowly. She's unknown. She's unprotected. She's uncared for. She is the last person that you would ever expect to get justice. But she does it, doesn't she? The whole point of the story she gets it done. Jesus, in very few words, paints this extreme picture uh, with a small amount of language. And so what is her ploy? She just keeps coming back. Because why? That's all she's got. What? what? She, she can't get a job. It's not like she's going to be working during the hours of the court. So guess what? Every time court's open, she's in there. The judge, you know, rings the gavel down, comes and sits down, and holy cow, there's that woman again. Over and over and over and over, as soon as there's an open mic, she's up there telling him her story. Over and over and over and over. He keeps saying, she keeps saying, he keeps saying, he doesn't care for her at all. She has no pull on him whatsoever. She has absolutely no influence over him. He's a person that would listen to bribes. He's a person that would listen to politics. She doesn't have these things. She doesn't have any influence. She has no pull about it on his conscience. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't fear men. Uh, he has no shame. He has no guilt. He's self-confessed. 
But the result is because she continually comes, as, as he says here, she wears me out. It's the same word that Paul uses when he says in the book of 1 Corinthians that he buffets his body, make it obedient to Christ. Remember that? 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 9. He buffets his body because he wants to make sure that he's doing everything he possibly can with the short life that he has to serve God. So I discipline myself. He, he describes himself as a boxer and as a runner and uh, other things. And he says, I buffet. I, I, literally, I literally chastise myself to make sure that I do the right thing. That's the same word he's using. This woman is chastising me. She's painful to me. Because one thing she has, she keeps using it. And so the basic premise of the whole story is that a powerful, wicked judge is defeated by a powerless woman through her persistence. So how does this apply to us? Remember, Jesus is not telling this in a vacuum. And often we refer to this Bible story in a vacuum. In other words, we go look up verses on prayer, which this is a great one. But we pull them out of their context in order to fit our situation, our needs, that we should always pray and never give up. Of course, that's the meaning of the story. But it's not told in a vacuum. In fact, it's told in the sweep of a story of Jesus talking about his Second coming, if you were with us last week, he tells us about the nature and the circumstances of his second coming, the hearts of people, the circum- what they're going to see, what they're going to believe, how they're going to believe falsely, just like the people prior to the flood and the people prior to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah thought that they could just go about business, and then all of a sudden, boom, it was all over. He's telling these stories, these riveting and, and truly scary stories. And in that context, he tells this story on prayer. And the reason why I say that is because if you back up to verse 22 of chapter 17... Here's the context. He said to his disciples, this is who he's speaking to, the people committed to him, the people who trusted him, his followers. The days shall come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. These days that are just about within a few months going to be over for them. The walk that they had for the past three years with the Savior. It's been awesome. It's been great. Miracle after miracle, feeding after feeding, all kinds of things, wonderful teachings, great days. He says, you're going to wish... You could get these days back, but he says, you're not going to. You will not see them. And then he goes on to speak about, I'm going to effectively leave you, but I'm coming back and the conditions of that second coming and how people's hearts are going to be. And that's the circumstances. That's what he's talking about here. If you'll turn between chapter 17 and chapter 18, you'll notice the words that say chapter 18. Do you have them in your Bible? There they are mine right there. If you'll put your finger over that word, those were chapter 18, you'll notice that these two paragraphs just kind of stick together. That's exactly. So these chapter breaks were added 300 years later. And they were added so that we could find our way around the Bible. And I'm not discrediting that or the importance of that. It's really nice to not have to say, okay, turn to, I don't know, page 5,000. We all have to have the same Bible in order to do it. So it makes our way around. But sometimes these chapter breaks can be arbitrary. In some cases, in this case, they can be misleading if you're not real careful. The context of this teaching on prayer is Jesus is finishing his story on the second coming and what our attitude is supposed to be, and how we're to conduct ourselves between the time of his first and the time of his second coming. He's effectively saying, as a woman who never gave up praying for the justice uh, that she was supposed to have, so should we be praying the same thing, looking forward to the coming of our Savior. So in that context, let's make an application uh, to our lives. So Jesus indeed is building an invisible kingdom through salvation, but that invisible kingdom will not stay that way. There is coming a visible kingdom, permanent kingdom, in which Jesus, as we talked about, is going to reign on the earth forever and ever. And if you're trusting in Christ as your Savior, you're going to be a part, a subject of that kingdom. 
in, in a in a wonderful wonderful circumstances. But between, if you've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, this isn't it. I mean, this is the world is bad, and it's going to get worse if Jesus's words are true, and I can promise you they are. It's going to get worse. Our leaders are going to get worse. The hearts of people are going to get worse. The circumstances around which the second coming is is an awful thing. The the thing is that Jesus is trying to tell us how we're to conduct ourselves between now and then. And here's effectively what he's saying. You need to focus on my return. And, And it needs to be number one in your prayer request. Did you pray that way today? That his kingdom would come? That his will will be done? We tend to get involved in what's happening, you know, that, that he would help me with this and he would do that. I'm not saying he doesn't want to hear those prayers. But I'm telling you, the first thing he wants to hear from you is that you're focused on his kingdom. Well, I don't really need to do that, really. So you get to design how your life works and Jesus gets to come along and fill in the blanks because you only have a few. No, actually, the teaching of the New Testament effectively is you're nothing but a blank. You have no idea what you're doing. This is your first and last time through life. And Jesus comes in and writes the whole story for you. That actually is a Christian life. Christian life isn't Jesus as a spare tire, much less prayer as a spare tire. It's I roll everything on him. This woman is totally dependent upon the justice that God would bring into her life, and that's exactly our circumstance. We're just like her. It, it, if, if prayer doesn't, uh, for his kingdom doesn't factor into your prayers, you're praying very differently and your attitudes very differently than the writers, writers of the New Testament. Cons- consider a couple of places here. Let, uh, Peter, first of all. But in keeping with his promise, What? Of his coming. We are looking forward to the new heaven and new earth. Is that what you're doing? Because that needs to be your focus. How are you going to know what you're doing today if you don't know where you're going? That's where we're headed. Where righteousness dwells. Now that'll be awesome. You look around our world today, there's not a lot of that going on. It should increase your prayer life. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, are you? Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. I would say if you're not doing one, you're not doing the other. If you're not looking forward to this, you're probably not looking at every effort to make yourself spotless, blameless, and uh, peace with him. You're kind of playing around, I would suggest. I can predict. Uh, Not that I'm a predictor. It's a non-profit organization. Didn't we tell you that? No profits here. Non-profit, 100%. But, But no prophecy. I can just tell you what the Word says, and I know it's true for your life because I know it's always true for me. None at all. Don't need to prophesy. Romans 8, here, again, the focus of the writers of the New Testament was always the end, always. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's where we are today, an internal life change that comes through trust in Christ as personal Savior. Have you done that? Have you had an encounter with the Savior? Not enough to know that Jesus is the Savior. Have you personally trusted Him? Jesus describes it as being born again. It's a spiritual birth leading ultimately to a physical birth, which is what Paul is speaking of here. So we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. That's where the first change is. As we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's outward. So first the change is inward, ultimately ending in the outward. That's our focus. For in this hope we were saved. What? The full orb view. Not just I get to go to heaven, but I get to stay here and be with Jesus ultimately in the end because this is where Jesus is coming. My focus is on that. This world and my standing before him and answering for the life, the salvation life that he's given to me has to be constantly in focus, waiting patiently for him, it says. Again, the focus of the writers of the New Testament. Here, listen to Paul as he concludes the first book of 1 Corinthians. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be accursed. Come, Lord Jesus. 
lest you doubt of anything in any way he thought, thought any differently. This is what he did. He teaches on practical matters. He teaches on marriage. He teaches on giving. He teaches on tithing. He teaches on all kinds of things. But ultimately, what's his focus? The thing that really matters. If you don't have that in view, you will not know how to take the trip between here and there. So, so Jesus says, listen, this needs to be your focus. This has to be the place. Not only does Jesus tell us to pray that way, we, like the widows, should not lose heart in praying that way. That is really what is being communicated in this parable. That is really his point. Like to travel? I mean, you must. Most of you are from somewhere else. Right? All of you, including me. I'm not from here either. I've been here a long time, but I'm not from here. Like to travel, so when you travel, you just get in the car, put it in gear, go down the driveway, and you say to your wife or husband, hey, you want to turn left or turn right? Is that what you do? Get the next intersection. Turn left, turn right. So we go south or go north? Well, here we, go, we only have, I mean, you can go not very far north, but then you've got to go south and you've got to go west. But then once you go west, where do you go? Is that the way you plan your trips? Do you not most of the time when you plan your trips? And maybe there's some free spirits here, but it won't be very long because you run out of money because you don't know how much money to bring. You don't know how to prorate your time or your energies or anything else. Most of when we travel, what do we do? Yeah, we have a destination, right? This is a destination, isn't it? You truly have to turn around from here. You have to turn around to go back. You can't go through. We're not through to anything unless you're, I don't know, headed to the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. This is a destination. You plan your destination, and then based upon your plan, then you're able to prorate your time and your money and your energies. That's the way most of us travel. My dad, when I was growing up, we grew up in, I grew up in southeast Texas. Uh, uh, lots of trees, lots of water, lots of rain, no wind, 100 degrees, and 99% humidity almost all summer long. Uh, his idea of a vacation was to leave in the middle of that and go anywhere opposite of that. So it had to be high, and it had to be dry. And so, of course, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, if, we could make, if the money lasted all the way into southern, southern Canada, we would travel. And that was the rule of thumb. The rule of thumb was we would more or less have a destination, but our ultimate destination was when the money got to half, then we, would, then we turned around <laughs> and headed south. That's the way it goes. Somebody would go out in the Gulf of Mexico. You go out till half your gas is gone, you turn around and go back. That's how you know you're going far enough. So you go up half. Come back on half, and uh, but you, you've got to have a plan. If you don't have a plan where you go, you have no way to manage your money. You have no way to determine, can we take this side trip, honey? Can we go and do this? I don't know because we don't know where we're going. Well, let's plan where we're going first. Exactly. If you don't have the end in view, there's no way you can know how to make a trip, really. Same is true when it comes to the trip that you're on when your relationship with God and the life that you're currently living. You're only getting one run at this. So until you know, until you have in focus constantly how it ends, you can't know how to live day to day. A lot of Christians that are very confused, and I'll tell you why, in many cases because we expect Jesus to come in and fill in blanks. He's not a blank filler. You, you, you come to him blank completely, and he fills the whole thing in. But if you think you've got your life figured out, by the way, that's not lordship. You call him Lord, Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say, he says. I don't need this whole focus on the end times. It's just ridiculous. Well, yep, you can do that, sir. That's the way people ruin their lives and wind up regretting a lot of stuff. Jesus actually tells us how to run everything from the beginning to the end. I start from the beginning focused on the end, and only then in between I'm able to know day to day how I'm prorating my life. I can't spend this, or I can. I can't go there, or I can. I can't do this, or I can, because the end. Because I know how this ends. 
And I know who I'm going to be speaking to and who I'm going to be standing in front of. And as he says, as we do this, we cry out to him day and night. Our, our condition is the same as this widow. We live in a world with we have no influence. We're just sons and daughters of God. But you walk in, do they introduce you that way in a restaurant? When you want run for office, I'm thinking we should. They, they, you, you're immediately put to the front of the candidacy because you're a child of God? Oh, no, it's the exact opposite. The world does not recognize the children of God and understand who we really are. does not understand who, who we belong to and that He's the creator of all things. They don't want to think that. They don't want to know that. You're, you're just like this widow. You have no status. You have no power for the real things that matter. None. But the difference between us and the widow is that we have a different judge, do we not? Who loves us. Who is all-powerful. Who longs to do. Longs to bless us. And, 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 and make a blessing out of us. And so he says that we cry to him, how often? Just two times a day. Day and night. Who cry to him day and night. We're dependent upon him. Some, sometimes we, we look at this destitute widow possibly and say, oh well, that's sad for her. She didn't have really anything. What do you have? Nothing. You, same. You just have the Lord. Snap his fingers, you lose everything. He can do that. He gave you everything you have belongs to him. It's from him. You'll have to answer him for it. But it's all from him. And we start taking credit for our stuff and we lose focus, among other things, on where we're headed. You're headed into eternity in which all this is going to be removed from you. You're going to be judged of how you play the game. So be careful how you play it. Know how it ends. It should, it should color everything that we do. It should color how we pray. How did Jesus teach us how to pray? You know, we think, oh, the Baptists say, oh, that's a Catholic thing to pray the Lord's Prayer. Oh, no, it's not. Jesus is no Catholic, even no Baptist either. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven. Your, your, your prayer should be shaped like this. Hallowed be your name. What's the first request? Your kingdom come. Not help me with this business decision. Nothing wrong with that request. But you're, you're missing the focus, sir, ma'am. The focus is the kingdom. It, ultimately, he's wanting this. this is, he's, he's, he's telling you how to pray because he's telling you what really matters. What really matters is him coming and fixing this place. And when that's out of focus, we really are not running right, not thinking right. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Colors the way we pray. Comforts the way it brings comfort into our lives. Here's First uh, Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout. Here we go. Second coming, right? The voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will first rise first and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We, we seek comfort in so many things that aren't very comfortable. This is where comfort is. Our comfort is we're focused on the end. That's, that's, that's the way we need to run our lives. That's the way we need to prorate and manage our lives because that's where the comfort is. The Lord's going to take care of this. The Lord's going to deliver us. The Lord's going to provide. The Lord's going to, going to resurrect us. The Lord's going to change things. He's going to make things far better than they've ever been. So, so comfort, we're, we're driven also to reach others for Christ because we're headed somewhere. They are too. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, this colors what I do today, if that's my focus. But if it's not, then I'm frivolous with stuff. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And not going to be exceptions to that. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So we know that this judgment is not going to be a judgment for sin because Christ was judged for our sin if we trusted him. 
But we know that we're going to have to answer nonetheless for the eternal life that he's given you that started in your life when you accepted Christ. He's going to call you into account for those things. Every money, every penny, every breath, every opportunity, called in every gift he's given to you, all those things, called into account. We have to have the, the end in sight or else we're going to start living today as if that end doesn't really, not going to really happen. And that's where you mess up. And also do we live that way, but we also live because the rest of the world doesn't even know. And we're headed, the world, if the church is headed toward a judgment of, of deeds, whether we did good or bad in this life, what's the world headed? They're headed for a judgment of sin. Don't want to be on that side of things. And so knowing, for their sakes, we know the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. Listen, I know you think this way, but you need to know how it ends. The Lord is coming, and you're going to have to stand before him. You need Christ as your personal Savior. Again, it changes, it colors us, it, it fixes us. Christian life, uh, I, I would say, therefore, is only lived properly through reverse engineering. Now, reverse engineering, you get the final product, and then you take it apart and try to figure out how they made it. Well, that's where we're going. What's our final product? We're going to be eternally with the Lord in resurrected bodies, not just souls. The Lord is going to be reigning over the earth as sovereign king, Righteousness is going to be the only option. All that's going to matter is how we served and who we served. And it's going to be all done by then. We're going to be talking about what happened in the past. It's all going to be set in stone forever. Your condition and reputation is going to be set by how you conduct yourself in this life, and it is short. And all righteous and all wicked is going to be judged. And for the wicked, the smoke, it says, their torment of their torment is going to be ascending forever and ever. This is the final product. From that final product, reverse engineer your life. So with that in view, it tells me better about how I'm going to spend my time, my money, my abilities, my energy, my everything, because it's headed to a conclusion. And we need to be praying day and night, it says here, day and night for that conclusion. Come, Lord. Bring it, Lord. Teach me how to live correctly, Lord, because my focus is on you and what you're going to be doing here in this universe. Anybody like to ride roller coasters? Only the young ones? I'll tell you young ones something, because this is how one of the ways I know I'm getting older, other than the mirror, is I don't like to ride roller coasters anymore. I wasn't a big roller coaster rider, but they didn't bother me, but they got to where they bothered me as I got older, because I would get off of them injured. Like a neck, you know, or your back, or your hip is out of whack, and you got a bruise down one whole side of your body. It was like, I can't, I don't remember it being that way. I grew up about an hour and a half from Astroworld, Houston, Texas, Astroworld. We were over there all the time. It was the big, great thing for a youth ministry because they, they would, you know, what are we doing for a youth trip? We're going to Astroworld. We'd go to spend all day in Astroworld, just ride all the rides and have big fun. I remember it being so much fun. And then as I got older, my kids still young, and I would ride the rides with them, uh, it hurt. Forgot how fun that was. Truly forgot it. I found a great picture, by the way. So I won't say that I'll never ride a roller coaster again because I don't have grandkids yet, and I know how grandkids affect you. So I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to come out and just say that I won't ever do it. I love this lady's face, though. Okay, you know she looks as if she didn't know how this was going to go. I mean, roller coasters are, you know, they go up and down and sideways, and they go upside down sometimes. And they, I mean, this is a mature lady, right? I mean, this lady should know how how roller coasters go. What what if what if roller coasters? What if you got? What if you never knew what a roller coaster was? You came off of I don't know somewhere. 
the middle of nowhere, never heard of a roller coaster before, had no idea how they worked, were never informed, had no idea how it ended, and you just somebody said, get in this little cart, and you did. And of course, how does it start? I mean, most of them, you know, click, 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 and then it goes click, 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 right? And it's, you know, what is, this is like a, you know, a scenery tour. You get to look around, you have high, you see everything, and then it goes click, 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 and then woo, there it goes. Around and around and side to side, and you get hurt. Like, I'm, I'm thinking this woman has got probably a pain in her hip right now. <laughs> she just got hit. You know, they just made a big turn. Uh, uh, what if you had no idea that that was, any of that happened, or especially that it would come, hopefully, to a nice conclusion with a little bit of terror, but nice conclusion. What, what would that be like? It's impossible to imagine that because none of us none of us are unfamiliar with roller coasters, but it's sort of in some ways uh, if we can imagine what life would be like for a person who does not know Christ. Or I should say a person who knows Christ but doesn't focus on the end result. So every day is like a roller coaster. You have no idea what's coming next. And especially you have no peace because you have no idea how this is going to end. Well, change that. Change it. And not only do you need to be, I'm not saying you need to be like this little girl with your hands up in the air, but at least you need to be some kind of calming presence, us as Christians. Because we know who's in charge of this roller coaster. We know who built it. We know who owns it. We know that he's taking us through. We, we know how it ends for those of us who trust him. And it's not that we should be cocky or anything like that, but we should be a comforting presence. And also a word to the wise as this ride rolls. God's given us opportunities. God promises it's it, you know the, the dips are going to get bigger, the, the the loops are going to get larger, and the ride's going to get scarier, and then it ends. And we know all that. He's given us that warning, and it should change our focus. It should because of that focus should change how we live today. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about what God has said to us today. Do you pray? Is it a spare tire for you? Or is it the thing you rely on? Jesus recommends two times to pray, day and night. Day and night, saying, Lord, help me. Help me think right. God, help me focus on what really matters. Deliver me from the distractions of the things that don't matter. God, I pray, since my life is so short, that I could use it wisely in in respect to your salvation. You've, You've saved me. Not so that I can call my own shots. Not so that I can fill in most of my life and ask you to fill in the blanks, but to come to you and say, God, I'm a blank slate for you to fill in. Tell me how to think. Tell me how to live. Tell me how to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to you so that when I step out of this life, there will be no regrets. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're doing that. Thank you for your faithfully bringing your word to us and and that you apply it through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that uh, you and your kingdom and what's coming for us, Lord, will become our focus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.